sportsmanship, confidence building, positive attitude, learning from failure, and success. You'll find it all here. This is Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Digital Edition. Welcome to the exclusive digital edition of Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and you can hear this and all our other podcasts at winnersunlimited.com. And today I'm going to be talking with author Daniel McGinn. He's the senior editor of the Harvard Business Review, and he's just written a book called Psyched Up. And we'll be talking with Dan in a few moments about his book. He talks about rituals and mental preparation and getting prepared for competition. You know, as a sports psychologist, I've been in practice for 36 years. And I've had the privilege to work with so many great people at all levels of sport. I've worked with the Olympic team. I've worked with professional teams, collegiate teams, high school teams, youth sports athletes, parents, coaches. I've been in private practice in Kansas City since 1981. Just co-authored a book called Just Let Him Play with uh, former Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery and Olympic swim coach Pete Malone. Pete coached five gold medalists in the Olympics during his illustrious career. And in our book, we talk about a variety of things about youth sports, but what we talk about is the mental side. And this show, Sports Psychology Today, is about the mental side of sports and life. And what we'll be doing on this show is interviewing people and getting into discussions about mindsets, about attitudes, about preparation, about focus, and about self-confidence. In all my years of work, I've had the privilege to work with so many great people at all levels And one of the things that I find, and I like to say this a lot, is you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who'll come out on top. And one of the things that I found throughout my career is that if you have a good game plan to prepare for competition, to prepare for your day, to prepare for life, you'll have a greater chance for success. Mental preparation, focus, attitude and confidence, I always like to emphasize are the four keys to success. And in the work I've done with so many different people, I found that if you have a game plan mentally where you prepare yourself psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, nutritionally, physically, you're ready to do the things you need to do, but you're also prepared when things don't go well. That's the first step. Then that comes to focus, how you concentrate, What are the things you do to get your mind in the right place? And what do you do when a distraction comes up? How do you handle that? That takes us to your attitude, how you feel about what you're doing. You can be positive, you can be negative, but what I always like to say is you can have a positive, realistic attitude, which means you're going to be in an upbeat way, but you're going to be ready for things that won't go right and not freak out about it when that happens. And then that takes us to the foundation, the grandfather of everything, self-confidence, the belief in yourself. And I always like to say that you can... Be confident before you need to be successful. I always ask this question to people. Do you have to be confident to be successful or do you have to be successful to be confident? And I think if you're confident first, it doesn't matter if you succeed or fail because you'll still feel good about what you're doing. You won't like it that you failed, but you'll be ready for it. But if you base your confidence on being successful, what happens if you fail? Then your confidence goes down the drain. Okay, now we're joined by Daniel McGinn. He's the senior editor at the Harvard Business Review, and he has just written a book just come out for the last couple weeks now called psyched up and as you know as a sports psychologist i work with athletes on mental preparation with mindsets with attitudes with focus with prep with the whole preparation area and one of the things that in my 36 years working as a sports psychologist that i have really spent hours and hours and hours on with athletes is mental preparation how do you get ready for that competition 
What are the things you need to do mentally, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, nutritionally to get ready? And I'm really excited to talk with Dan here because this book, Psyched Up, dives into the latest psychological research. And he's interviewed athletes, soldiers, entertainers, all kinds of people who, despite years of practice and enviable track records, will ultimately be judged on their ability to deliver a solid performance when it's their turn to shine. And in this book, he gets in all kinds of things. He, he talks about why trying to calm backstage jitters can become worse for your performance than channeling it into excitement, how meaningless rituals can do more to prepare you in the final moments than last-minute rehearsal, how a prescription from your doctor could help you unleash your best skill, and all kinds of things like that. So I want to thank you, Dan, for joining me this morning. I hope you're doing well. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us about the book. How did this come about, and uh, what what got you into writing something like this? So in high school, I played on the football and basketball teams, and I was definitely not a star in either sport. But I found the process that the coaches would use and that the players would do themselves to get ready for the games, to get mentally prepared, the music we would listen to, the rituals, the pep talks, the focus on the rivalries with the other teams. I found that aspect of the experience really fascinating. Then when I got out of school and became a reporter, I occasionally would run into people who were no longer athletes, people who were lawyers or doctors or accountants, who would tell me about how they continued to rely on the strategy they used in the locker room as a youth athlete to get ready for their day jobs, you know, going to court or doing an important surgery. Um, so I decided to do this book, which looks at this whole gamut of mental preparation techniques. And it looks at not only how you can use it in a sports setting, but also the instances where people can use it to help their careers. You know, I've, I've worked with people for 36 years as a sports psychologist in Kansas City, and I've worked with the Olympic team, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, high school athletes, youth athletes, you name it, pretty much every level. The, old, the oldest person I've had in my office, you'll like this, the oldest person I've seen was an 81-year-old female golfer. And when she came in, I asked her, why are you coming in? She says, Dr. Jacobs, quite frankly, my putting sucks. And it was interesting, wonderful woman, and she had the jitters before she would, she would go on the golf course. And she said, I can hit my tee shots okay. You know, I don't hit them far, but I hit them straight. But when I get on the green, I get all tight and tense and nervous. And I'm all worried about failure. And I'm all worried about screwing up and missing the putt. And her name was Helen. And I said, well, Helen, before you hit the putt, if you're thinking about missing it, guess what's in your mind? And she'd say, missing it. And I said, and what would you do? She said, I'd miss it. So we worked on a routine, a breathing exercise to help her relax and to visualize positive thoughts. And that would start before she'd play. And when she'd be on the putting green before she'd play, I'd have her practice all these things. And it really helped her quite a bit. And I found that in my experience, <clears throat> in the, all these years I've been working in this profession, that mental preparation, to me, is the key to whether you're going to succeed or fail. What have you found in terms of that? Yeah, one of the things your story illustrates is, and this is my perspective, not only as a reporter who wrote a book on this stuff, but also as a parent. I have three adolescents who, you know, they play sports, so they're going to sports tryouts, they're competing in sports, they're going to the SATs, they're going to their college interviews. These are really life skills that it's helpful if you pick them up somewhere along the way. But especially when dealing with a sports context, I talked to a lot of sports psychologists when I was reporting the book, and I read a lot of sports psychology research. And I think that sports psychology is a really powerful discipline that 
is kind of under-marketed. Um, I think there's something that people are missing if you're going to spend, in some cases, thousands of dollars to put your teenager on a club soccer team or a club baseball team and develop the actual physical skills. For many of these kids, spending a few hundred dollars to have a couple of sessions with a sports psychologist to work on just the thing that you talked about would be really beneficial. With two of my three children, I've taken them to see a sports psychologist to help them with some of these things. And it's definitely made a difference, but I think too few people do that. Well, obviously, it's what I do for a living, and I've done it for 36 years, and really one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. I, I would agree with you on that. But, you know, I, I, I do th- I have a saying, Dan. It's, it's, you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. And your book, Psyched Up, obviously is addressing all these issues, and it, you, you get into how people get ready. Because to me, I, I talk about four key words, preparation, focus, attitude, confidence. And confidence is the foundation of all of it, but it starts with the preparation. And I always tell people you have to get prepared mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally, nutritionally. You need to focus on your rest. You need to do all these things and have a game plan, have a consistent game plan that works for you. Did you find with all these people that you've interviewed, whether they're sports figures or not, that this is something that they have and that they found a a routine, a consistent routine that works for them well? Yeah, uh the thing that struck me is so there's a wide variety of techniques that people use and a wide variety of techniques that I talk about in the book, strategies to reduce anxiety, strategies to increase confidence. I look at the use of pep talks. I look at the use of music pregame. I look at focusing on rivalries and even trying to use anger and hostility. Not every one of these techniques is going to work for any one person. It's really kind of a menu of possibilities, and you need to find the the couple or the handful of techniques that work for you and then plug them into your routine. You know, the, the thing, you know, if you ask a lot of people what they do before an important performance event, whether it's in sports or at work, you tend to get a blank stare. What do you mean? I, you know, finished my cup of coffee and I straightened my tie. Uh, you should have something to do. If you watch the Olympics or if you watch you know, an NFL game, the players have these kind of processes. And if you're at your job and you want to be a high performer, you should come up with a routine like that as well. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, as you're talking, so many different things are flying through my head of the, all the years I've worked in this profession. One of the things that, that I work with people on is a relaxation visualization exercise. For, and it doesn't matter if it's in sports or, or giving a speech or whatever it might be. But have some kind of if you, if 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 you have the jitters beforehand, have a way to relax. And I I have uh, exercises I teach people that go through a breathing exercise, a progressive muscle relaxation exercise where you flex and relax your muscles from the head to your feet one section at a time, a confidence building section where you visualize yourself in a very positive, confident place and and fill yourself with positive thoughts, and then a visualization section where you picture yourself actually doing your whatever the event that you're about to do is and see yourself doing it successfully i also spend a lot of time working with people on visualizing themselves failing and how am i going to pick myself back up to keep moving from that did you find that a lot of the people you interviewed have a game plan for failure yeah i uh i did although um that's a con that talking about failure before you perform can be a controversial thing um you know, there's definitely some school of thought. So that that's naturally my inclination with my children, especially, or even with myself. Before I go into a high stakes event, uh, I'll tell myself, you know, I hope this goes well. I've prepared, but even if something goes wrong, 
uh, it's going to be okay for these following reasons. They call that defensive pessimism. Um, it's a controversial technique. There's definitely people who say that it primes you to think about failure. You know, if you're on a golf, if you're on the first tee of a golf course and there's a water hazard on your right, there's a group of people who are going to tell themselves, "Don't hit it to the right." And some sports psychologists or many sports psychologists will say that's the wrong message. Instead, you want to say, hit it to the center. Um, they say you want to focus on what you do want to do as opposed to what you don't want to do. Um, so, you know, you're trained in this, so you know what you're doing. And if you have a plan and it works with you and your clients, um, you know, I'm sure it, it, it's true. Uh, in the literature and in sort of the conventional wisdom, you know, there's definitely some controversy about thinking about failure options. I want to remind you that we're listening to the digital edition of Sports Psychology Today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and joining me is Daniel McGinn. He's the senior editor at the Harvard Business Review, and he's just written a book called Psyched Up. And we're talking about mental preparation. We're talking about getting prepared for competition. And, Dan, along the lines of what you just said right there, I always tell people you need to have plan A and plan B. Plan A is what you want to do. Plan B is a game plan for what you don't want to do. I have found that one of the key negative attributes that a lot of athletes have is that they're thinkers. And when they start thinking too much, they will inevitably think of failure. And in the book that I just wrote with former Royals Hall of Famer Jeff Montgomery and Olympic Swim Coach Hall of Fame, uh, Pete Malone, it's called Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes for Youth Sports. Our third chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. And I think it's important to teach people to be prepared to fail. And so in terms of what you've done with your book, Psyched Up, I th I'm sure you're addressing this because even though, like you're saying, we have to focus on the positives, you do have to have a game plan if something goes wrong because no one's perfect. Right, no question. I mean, I came into this, I didn't know a lot about sports psychology, which in itself says something because, you know, I played sports all through high school and nobody really talked about this stuff. It's a set of ideas that is kind of under leveraged. Um, but I came out of that experience with a very simplistic model for what it meant to get psyched up. I was very focused on adrenaline and how adrenaline uh, impacts your body. And it seemed to me, especially in a football context, that getting psyched up was primarily about turning the switch on and getting that surge of adrenaline that's going to help your body be a little bit stronger, a little bit quicker. Once I actually talked to a lot of experts in a variety of fields and read the research, I came away with a much more nuanced model of what it means to be psyched up, one that focuses less on biology and adrenaline and a little bit more on emotions. I went from thinking about getting psyched up as a light switch that you turn it on and off to more of a stereo system where you turn the knobs. You know, you want to sort of crank your anxiety down to the extent you can. You want to crank your confidence levels way up. You want to make sure your energy level is right. It's more about fine-tuning your emotions than it is trying to sort of program this adrenaline rush. Let me ask this question in, in the research you did. When, did pe when do people, from what, who, from what you have found in your, your research and interviews, when do they start getting mentally prepared for whatever it is they're doing? It's a sport event, a speech, work, whatever. When do you find that they start mentally starting to get prepared? Well, I think it depends on the nature of the event. Um, there are certainly people, you know, especially in an Olympic context, who on a, on a competition day, their routine will start the morning that they wake when they wake up in the morning. It'll be, you know, the whole day is programmed around that kind of thing. Um, if you're in a sport like professional baseball, playing 160 odd games a year, you know, you're, you're uh, doing it so frequently 
that you know your routine can't necessarily encompass your whole day because you're playing almost every day. If you're playing NFL football with a 16-game regular season schedule, um, so some of it has to do with how frequently you're doing it, whether you can really devote the whole day to it. Um, you know, in the book, I concentrate on things you can do in the last few minutes. You know, you, the backstage moment. You know, the the final moments before you go on stage, um, because I think most of us in our lives don't have the luxury of devoting entire days to this kind of stuff. Well, being from Boston, you'll, you'll enjoy knowing I, I worked for 20 years with Tom Flash Gordon, the former Red Sox closer, who, when he was with the Red Sox, held a major league record for 54 consecutive saves. And Tom and I worked out a routine that he would use every day when he go down to the bullpen. Let's face it, if you're a closer, you don't know if you're going to pitch. If you're a relief pitcher, you don't know if you're going to pitch or not. And so it's important that you have a routine every day that you follow. And he would work. We, we pretty much perfected a routine that he would when he would go down to the bullpen and he would spend time visualizing. He would spend time seeing himself in the game. And when he go down to the bullpen about the sixth or seventh inning, he would totally focus on the game and the hitters. And he would be totally absorbed in that. So when he got into the game, he in his mind, he'd already been there. And he would visualize himself pitching before he'd come into the game. And as a result, he ended up with 54 consecutive saves, which was the major league record for a long time. And one of the things I found, not just with him, but with so many of the athletes over the 36 years I've worked, is developing a consistent routine that they are comfortable with. And I have found with people outside of sports, it's the same thing. If you're going to give us a presentation, I'm sure when you start giving presentations on your book, you're going to have to have a game plan and be prepared to go speak to an audience. And that's going to be something you'll, I'm sure, I'm sure you've already perfected it as a writer, but something you'll, you, you have to work on perfecting, getting comfortable with within yourself. Yeah, the human body really does crave routine. We, we are creatures of habit, and we do find comfort in doing the same thing repetitively. Uh, and in a situation where you're prone to feel anxiety, uh, knowing that you have this routine that you can focus on, it can help reduce the amount of anxiety it can take away from that it can give you something else to focus on instead um so there in sports psychology there's been studies in activities ranging from darts to water rugby to polo um that suggest that the more uh you have a routine before you engage in competition uh the higher you'll perform yes and i i found that in the 36 years that as in my work as a sports psychologist since grad school you couldn't be more on than that. You have to have something that you're comfortable with. But at the same time, I think it's important to always have a plan for when something goes wrong. If you think that and, negative thought, if you if, if if you don't, if you stumble in your speech, if you miss a shot, whatever it is, how are you going to come back from that? One of the more interesting days of reporting I did for the book was I spent a day down at Juilliard, the music school in New York City. And they have an entire course there that teaches their musicians how to get ready for auditions because those are such high-stress events for them. And what was interesting was, you know, they learn all these different techniques, probably many of the same techniques you're teaching your athletes how to do. Then at the end of the course, the instructor gives them their final exam, and he tells them in advance how this is going to go. You're going to you're going to go upstairs to the fifth floor of our building. You're going to have a very quiet rehearsal place where you can practice for 10 minutes. Then you're going to go into the room. There's going to be three judges, but they're going to be behind a screen so that they can't see you while you play, and you're going to play your song. Well, when the day actually comes, he programs it so everything goes wrong for them. He turns the elevators off so they have to carry their instruments up the stairs, getting all hot and sweaty. The practice room has an AM radio hidden in the walls at high volume. 
the judges are ornery. He puts a fan there so that their music is blowing around. He basically programs this. He calls it the adversity audition. And it's to see exactly what you're talking about, how well they deal when something goes wrong. And it's a great test of the kind of mental skills they've been building throughout the semester. That's fantastic. You know, I think uh, I, I'm a little bit biased because this is what I do for a living. But but I think that more people need to spend more time doing things like that and desensitizing people to stress and failure and make it something that becomes acceptable. One of the things I feel very strongly about in our society today with young kids especially is we don't teach them how to fail the right way. We, we, we teach them that failure is bad and it's wrong and, it, and there's something wrong with you if you screw up. And I think we need to teach people, our third chapter in our book is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun because I think we need to teach people that it's okay, it's part of life. And I think you've probably picked up on that in all the research in your book, Psyched Up. Yeah, it's interesting. And I see it also in my job at Harvard Business Review. In certain areas of society, certainly in entrepreneurship and in startups and if you're in Silicon Valley, they've learned a way to reduce the stigma that goes to failure there you know in they know out there that if you're going to start a company there's you can do everything right and there's still a very high odds that it's not going to be successful and if you have a couple of those on your resume it's not a bad thing and in fact it, it could be a good thing because it shows you're a risk taker it shows that you know uh, you're willing to get out there it shows you can come back from adversity um, in other areas we're less programmed uh, to accept that um, but I think you're right. Uh, it seems like, especially for adolescents, it seems like we keep constructing more of these high-stakes sort of events, and just by definition, more people are not going to be successful at them. So we need to develop those coping skills to deal with what happens after the fact. You know, I like to say, Dan, that, that last year uh, you had in the three major sports championships in football, basketball, and baseball, you had a very unique thing happen in all three. In the NBA uh, championship a year ago, Golden State was winning 3-1, to one, and the Cavaliers came back and beat them 4-3. to three. In the World Series, the Cleveland Indians were ahead 3-1, to one, and the Cubs came back and won 4-3. to three. And in the Super Bowl, as you very well know, the Patriots are down 28-3 to three in the third quarter, being from Boston, and what happens, they win in overtime. Based on the research you've done in your book, Psyched Up, why do you think all three of those teams were able to come back in the, in, in the face of such tremendous adversity? Well... They never lost confidence, and that's really one of the keys. You know, as a whether you're leading a youth sports team, whether you're leading a professional sports team, whether you're running a sales force or uh, working with a company, um, you need to find techniques to keep your people confident, even when the numbers are bad and even when things are going against you. Um, it comes back to some of the techniques you mentioned earlier. You know, helping them visualize positive outcomes. Um, small things, you know, one of my uh, sons plays baseball, and I'm not a big videotaper. I, I tend not to be the guy on the sidelines with the camera all the time, but it just so happened that in his last Little League game, I had my phone with me, and in his last at-bat, I turned the phone on, and so I have this, you know, 25-second video of him in his last Little League at-bat hitting a home run, and it's on my phone, and he knows it's on my phone, and sometimes when we're running to, or we're going to an event or a tryout or something, I'll say, hey, could I see your phone for a second, and he'll just watch that video, and you can see the smile go on his face, and it's one small little technique to help him build confidence before an important event, so I think everybody needs to find those kind of techniques in their own lives. Now, before I let you go, I want to ask you this question, because this is something I've talked about for years, superstitions. 
Okay, I'm sure you you talk to some people who get superstitious in their rituals. And uh, a, a quick story: my my great uncle Hirsch Jacobs was the winningest trainer in horse racing when he died back in 1970. He at the time he'd won 3,596 races, but he was very 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 superstitious, and he would wear the same hat or the same tie every time a specific horse ran. And uh, a funny story he had was when my father was two, my grandfather took him out to the racetrack, and they put him on a horse that was running that day, and he wet his pants. Well, the horse won. The next week, my uncle calls my grandfather and says, where's, where's your son? Get him out here. we got to get him to, to wet his pants again. Well, my grandfather's a smart man. He brought him out. The horse won. The next time the horse ran, he did it again, wet his pants, wins again. Third, fourth time, wet his pants, the horse lost. My uncle said, you don't have to bring him back anymore. Do you find people are extremely superstitious with their rituals to get prepared? Some people are more superstitious than others. Um, there's a whole a variety of factors that predict whether somebody is superstitious or not. The main thing to keep in mind with that, though, is that there's enough, there's enough research to say with some level of confidence that superstitious rituals do work simply because the person who's involved in them thinks they work and it increases their level of confidence. Um, for instance, th- some of them are really weird studies. There's a, a study in golf where they took golfers that were equivalently skilled and they had them putting from the same length, the same length of the putt. Half the golfers, they told them as they handed them the putter to, for the test, oh, this used to be owned by a PGA professional. And the other half, they didn't tell anything. People who thought they were using a pro's golf club putted about a third better. Um, so there is all sorts of research. Some of it does sound weird that suggests if you think something matters or if you think something is important, it can help you. Um, the mind is a very powerful thing, and the sports psychology techniques that you use with your clients really do help people find ways to leverage that. Well, as I said earlier, you can, my favorite saying is you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. Listen, Dan, Dan McGinn, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Sports Psychology Today. This, this has been awesome, and your book psyched up. It just come out. Where can people find it? You can find it at bookstores everywhere or on online booksellers as well. And how can people get a hold of you, Dan, if they'd like to reach you? So my website is www.psychedupthebook.com. That's the best way. Okay. Well, sir, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a fascinating interview, and I hope we can talk again. Thank you. I want to thank Daniel McGinn, senior editor of the Harvard Business Review, for being with us today. His book, Psyched Up, sounds great, and I would encourage everyone to get it. I want to remind you that you're listening to the digital edition of Sports Psychology Today. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and you can listen to more great interviews, callers, and discussions at winnersunlimited.com. This wraps it up for the digital edition of Sports Psychology Today. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs, digital edition. Find out more at winnersunlimited.com.